Amen. While we're standing, why don't we open a little word of prayer? Is that all right? Father, as we come before you tonight, it's a little chilly outside. But as Pastor Mark just told us, the Warriors beat the world champs. So I know miracle is in the air, Father. So, Lord, may we grab one tonight, and may we walk out of here victorious and celebrating in just a little while. And it'll be good to say, one to another, it was good to come to the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Go ahead and be seated. And it is an honor to be here, especially for two stalwarts of the valley here. They 30 years, I believe, right? Yep, and been in this facility, I, I learned tonight, since 2007, and my father, for a while, lived in Hayward. I think I've seen uh, about four movies in this facility back in the day. I think I left gum under a seat, but I can tell it's they've changed all the seats. But amen. Great to be here. Um, on our Wednesday nights back at Jubilee, I like to make it designated it towards a little bit of a Bible study night. So is that all right tonight? All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 18, and I'm going to speak out of the New King James. If you have NIV or Old King James, we'll, we'll track right along together. Amen. Now, this is an interesting scripture on a lot of layers. It's the first book probably that Paul wrote. It predates the Gospels chronologically, not in order of events, but in actual ink on either parchment or papyrus or whatever he had used, he says something interesting to the church at Corinth. He says, for the message of the cross, how many know the cross has a message? Amen. Amen? And it's not to ward off vampires. That's what Hollywood's used it for, for a few years. And it's not as a lucky charm, a rabbit's foot, a four leaf clover. There is a message involved in the cross. Now, why is this interesting? Because here we have a book written probably about 60 A.D. The first gospel will be written five years later. My, a fascinating argument in archaeology and in history is what were the early icons or emblems of Christianity? All right? Some have stayed. Some we've lost right, throughout time. One, the most prevalent one, even in Corinth, I've been to Corinth three times. When you visit the ruins in Corinth, you'll see a fish. The fish was kind of the first wink, wink, I'm a Christian. Because under certain emperors in the Roman Empire, it could cost you your life or your freedom to, to worship as a Christian. So how did you keep it on the down low? In Corinth, mainly, they told us, the, these are Greek guides, that usually if you met somebody for the first time and you, were, you think he's a Christian, he acts like a Christian, he's, he says little Christian things, but you're not sure, you could be talking to him in the dirt and you could make half an arc with your foot and kind of back off and keep the conversation going. And kind of the wink-wink would be for him to make the lower part of the arc. In essence, you make a fish. So why is a fish so beloved? Some think probably the parable of the loaves and the fishes. That uh, Who doesn't love a free lunch? Amen. That's just... <laughs> Everybody, right? And what a lunch it was. The scraps were better than the lunch, right? right? So how many know with Jesus at times, it's not really what comes in or is put into his hand. Sometimes all we need to do is collect the scraps, amen? And we'll have more than what we even started with, amen? Right? So it could be that, or it could be who were really the, the ones who birthed 
Christianity. It was really a group of fishermen, exactly. Right? So in essence, it's uh, Jesus' miracle of a feeding and also liking this movement, which still in 60 AD was considered part Judaism as liking it onto the movement of the fishermen. One that's been lost, I've been doing a lot of first century tombs all throughout Greece and Turkey mainly, you'll see a pitchfork. And today we think pitchfork, we think more devil than we do, right, than we do Jesus. But in the first century, in the far east, the believers there, all the way to Armenia, the pitchfork was used. And some scholars believe it was a trident, but the pitchfork was always pointing towards heaven. That's how you know it's a first century Christian tomb, right? The harvest. And the harvest, this soul is going towards towards heaven. That one's been lost. The dove and whatnot throughout time. But if you were to go Wikipedia, my question, what were the emblems of early Christianity? You can do this when you get home. I mean, you could do it now on your, on your phone, but wait till you get home. They're going to say the cross would not be used until Constantine becomes the first Christian emperor, which is in 312 AD. But yet, 250 years earlier, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, there is a message in the cross, which implies the cross is being used in one way or another. Right? Well, what is the message of the cross then, Paul? He says, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, amen, to us, who are being saved, it is the power of God. Interesting. A cross gets a reaction. So was a cross used in the first century as an emblem of Christianity? Paul seems somewhat to imply, yes, it was. But what a strange emblem. It represents his death. All right? It was the literal tool that the Romans used for his execution. And they had many forms of execution. Right? I really don't want to get into too many of them tonight, but not pleasant. But the worst of the worst way to die for the lowest of the criminal was to be made an example of. Your death could take three days, potentially, was the cross. Now, we're interesting. It's one or the other, Paul says. When people see what the cross stands for, to some people, it's foolishness. But to others, right, it is the power of God. Let me ask everybody in here. Anybody in here ever do something foolish? Huh? I don't need stories. I'll, I'll give you just a couple of mine. My first day in the seventh grade. I remember I got my class list and it said P.E. I remember P.E. What's P.E.? And one of my friends says, it's physical education. It's like gym class, man. We're going to, you play games, basketball, soccer, this. And I'm thinking, you get a grade for that? He's like, yeah, I go, I'm going to get at least one A this year, praise the Lord. And I remember the first day they gave us a little uniform, had the name of the school, a little number under it, right? And we had to put this on. And I remember I got my shirt, and I put my shirt on, and it was an XL. It was just now no problem. I could rock it like a, like a muscle shirt, no spandex. But then it went down to my knees. Short sleeve went almost down to my wrist. I'm like, what? I can't use this. 
how am I going to do my 360 moves on the basketball court in this, in this blouse? So I took it off, and I, you know, I'm telling my friend, switch with me. He goes, you can't. See the number underneath? That's how they take roll. That number's assigned to your name. We can't switch. I'm like, oh. So I go to find the teacher. I'm like, he's looking at me. He goes, have your mom wash it like four times. It'll be fine. And when he said that, I heard a bell. And he goes, you hear that bell? And I turn around, and everybody's out of the locker room. He goes, you better hurry up. You're going to get tardy. So now I'm like, oh, my God, I'm you know, panic city. I'm going to get a tardy, whatever that is. I don't even know at that time, but it can't be good. So I throw the shirt back on, and I run out, and I think I was number 34, and I find the 34, and I stand there. And you know what? I forgot to put the shorts on. Went out there in my chonies. Shirt and chonies. Now, the reason I say this is because I had my 25th uh, high school reunion uh, a couple years ago. And a guy I hadn't seen since senior year of high school, his wife, he's like, oh, this is my friend Adam. Let me tell you what happened to him on first day of school, seventh grade. Uh, uh. When I got married... I got invited to, I was a youth pastor at the time, this was back in 96, and I got invited by Eastman Curtis, if you remember that name, to speak at the uh, Youth Power Crusade in Orlando, Florida. I was so honored, and uh, he invited like six youth pastors across America, West Coast, Midwest, and I was the West Coast rep, and they flew us out there, and I just married my wife, Michelle, and um, I remember telling her, she goes, where are we going on our honeymoon? I go, I feel like the Lord's telling us we're going to go to Orlando. For <laughs> so, anyway, money was tight back then, but anyway. So they take, and they put us in this suite, and uh, overlooking, I think, Epcot. And I opened the doors, and uh, I remember I'm carrying the backs, and the bed in this room was like three times bigger than like a California king. It was enormous. Alaska King. I don't know what they called this thing. I don't know where they got sheets for this thing. It was just, it was a m- huge. And I don't know why, but I dropped the bags and I did a little running start and I jumped on the bed and that bed shot me up into the ceiling. I hit my head. You know those little bumpy things on the ceiling? That was a perfect round mark where my head's. I see pictures from that trip. I'm thinking, there's a picture of me at Disney World. I don't remember that day at all. Lord knows what I spoke on because I never got invited back. <laughs> so, I, so my point is this. I'm going to try to make a point with this. Because I, I could go on. I've driven away from gas stations with the pump still in the car. Or left drive through without the food or... Because I've done foolish things does not make me a fool. Go with me to 2 Samuel, and we'll stay here, chapter 6. I want you to keep that scripture in the back of your mind as we go over here. Very famous story. You're probably somewhat familiar with it. We pick up, David is on a task, and the task is to bring 
the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He's almost obsessed with it by this point of his life. He's been king now for about a decade or two. He's had great success, great prosperity. The enemies that used to torment Israel are now at bay. And now it's time to bring the ark to its home that he's going to create for it. Interesting, when I say ark, everybody knows I'm not talking about Noah's ark, right? It's, I'm talking about the ark of the covenant. The, the, the acacia box inlaid with gold that Moses was instructed to make. Indiana Jones tried to find it and you know, just got the two angels on the top. The wings almost meet, right? That, that box. But remember, what does that box represent? The presence of God. Wherever the box goes, the presence of God goes. And in the box were some interesting elements. Inside the box, does anybody know what was inside the box? Right? The last day manna fell from heaven, exactly. And what was manna? They call it bread from heaven, but it really doesn't seem like when we think bread, we think Toscana rolls falling down or something. But it says in the heat of the day it would melt. It could be scooped in the morning. Okay, what was it? There's a lot of theories. But the last time it fell, they scooped up a bunch and they put it in the box. Also in the box were the remains of the Ten Commandments, the tablets themselves. If you know the story, Moses comes off the mountain and they're worshiping the golden calf. And in anger and disgust, he breaks the, the, the two tablets. They pick up the pieces, they put it in the box. There's a third thing that was in the box. Moses' brother, exactly, Aaron, had a rod or a staff, right? And in the staff, it started to spring and to bud. It's a beautiful analogy, a great little sermon just in itself, because at one time it was a piece of wood that was alive that somebody cut down, formed a staff. Now it's dead, but that dead thing sprouted life once again. Once Aaron dies, they take the staff, they put it in the box. Now, David wants to build a home for it. He feels guilty. I have a beautiful home. My generals have homes. My family has homes. But yet, the Ark of the Covenant still sits in a tent. So if you know the story prior to this, he has a big parade. He, puts, he dresses up animals, colors them. He has a number of flute players. He has a number of harpists. He has the army. He has a Rose Bowl parade. He builds a cart on top to put the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to have a big parade and a celebration, and I'm going to bring it home. Interesting, how many of you know when you carry the presence of God, there are some rules and regulations you must adhere to? Not just anybody can carry the presence of God. So, unbeknownst to him, the book of Leviticus talks about how to carry the ark. For whatever reason, his advisors, himself, whatever, nobody mentions that scripture to him. So in the midst of the parade, if you know the story, the cart breaks an axle. Right? And the ark is going to slide off. But a man named Uzzah puts his hand out to, to hold it. And God strikes Uzzah dead. How I many others? There is a side of God that's not all warm and fuzzy, and right? Yeah. 
You need to have a fear of the Lord, the Bible says. That's where great wisdom starts. And David's anger, and he has an outburst at God. And God pretty much informs him, you did it wrong. If you want to carry my presence, there's the right way to do it. David's to the point now, I don't want to do anything with it. Leave it where it's at. Whose property is this? Uh, Some guy named Obed-Edom. Let him deal with it. We're out of here. The farmer, whose land it happens on, takes the ark and puts it in his house. That's a good word there. Some of us need to take the presence of God and put it in our house. Some of the best church services you could ever have are with your family inside your house. Now, once it's in his house, things go crazy in a good way. The melons he used to grow were this big. Now they're this big. Right? His cattle flourish. Everything's flourishing. Now let's pick up our story. 2 Samuel 6, verse 9. Now David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark, or the presence of God, come to me? That is a great question. I believe every Christian needs to have an answer to that. How do I get the presence of God out of this room? How do I get it in the car with me and take it home? Some of you want to flock to church because you feel the presence of God in this room. I don't know about you, and I, and I do too in church. But I don't want to just feel the presence of God at church. We are the church, really. How do I take it home? Because I, how many know I, I need it at home? Amen? I get a witness on that one. I, need, I can come and worship, but I need the presence of God with me 24-7. How do I get it to come to me? Verse 10. So David would not touch or move that ark with him into the city of David. So they take it aside to the man I told you about, Obed-Edom. He was a Gittite. Next verse. The ark of the Lord remained at old Obed-Edom's house for three months. How odd. He had to have been thinking every day, the king's going to come back for this. Right? Imagine getting up in the middle of the night, you're thirsty, and in your living room. After a day or two, it would be kind of cool. Right? Look at this. You bring the presents home, it won't only bless you, it'll bless all your household. Next verse. Now it was told to King David, saying, hey, remember where we left that ark? Remember that? Oh, yeah, at Obed-Edom's house. Yeah, David, and the Lord, the Lord is blessing the house of Obed-Edom and everything that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. And it starts with, you're taking notes, you want the presence to come home with you? It's got to start with gladness. It's got to start with gladness. Too many people come to the Lord out of sadness. And wanting him to change their sadness. And obviously, Jesus has compassion and this, and then he's merciful and this or that. But you want a true move of God? You want the presence to stay with you? It's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. And it'll be gladness that attracts the presence of God. So somehow, David's got a revelation. I've got to do it differently. Number one, let's start with gladness. Next verse. And so it was when those, look now, no cart. They're doing it the right way. Those bearing the ark of the Lord, means they had poles, 
put it up on their shoulders and carried it. Probably actually more, one, two or three on each side. All right? Now, if you study on your Bible maps at the, at, in your, uh, at the end of the Bible there, a lot of them place Obed-Edom's house, if you look at Old Testament maps, they got 16 miles to go. How many know in the car with no traffic? That's not too bad. It took me forever to do it tonight. But anyway, it gets up, up 880. Holy, listen to the whole warrior game. But 16 miles. They're going to carry it 16 miles. Catch this. Right? And as they go six paces, they would stop and sacrifice oxen and fatted sheep. Catch this. Number two, you want the presence of God to come home with you. Learn how to stop on the seventh step. And what do I mean by that? All right? How many of you love church? You love Sunday here? All right? Well, then you need to remember something. Church is important because you're going to have a Monday. You're going to have a Tuesday. You're going to have a Wednesday. You're going to have a Thursday. You're going to have a Friday. You're going to have a Saturday. Learn how to stop your paces right then because the seventh step is holy to God. And what does he do? He brings an offering. He brings an offering. How holy are I'm doing this differently, Lord, than I did it the last time. Some of us gave Christianity a try in our past. And, eh, here, there, and, and we kind of got away from it or we backslid or got blasé or, blah, or somebody let us down or what have you. Let me tell you something. If you want a better experience, do it right the second time around. Amen? Learn how to keep the seventh step holy. Me and my wife do this. when We travel. I don't care where we are. I will find a church. I was in Hawaii. All I could find was a seventh-day Adventist. And I forgot they went on Saturdays. I pulled in the parking lot, and I'm like, what? It's in the name. I should have remembered. So I found a little Catholic church. We're in Kauai in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to go to, I am going to go to a house of worship. I don't care if I agree doctrinally, scripturally. It's not that important. What is important is I'm going to acknowledge you today. You are important. And church is important. Sacrifice is important. Verse 14. And as they're doing this, catch this. David is the most powerful man. He's been king for quite a while in our story. And the king himself, look at this, is dancing before the Lord with all of his might. There's dancing and then there's dancing. Right? I mean, you can get up on some dance with me at a wedding or something. No, I don't want to. You can go out there and just do the upper body. You ever just do, you ever just, you ever just do the upper body? You follow me? Then there's really dancing because dancing is an expression of joy. So he is dancing with all of his might. Catch this. You imagine if you're Obed Edom's neighbors, your farming, what is going on over there? Huh? Who's the funny little guy in the front twirling and dancing? That's the king. Oh, my God. How many know the king before him did not do this? Right? And look at this. Catch this, too. He's wearing a linen ephod. 
What is linen? Linen is a cotton derivative. Catch this now. He is the king. He could wear whatever he wants. How many of you notice, even in our own day, you've very rarely seen the Queen of England in a cotton T-shirt? Especially in a ceremony as important as this. What does she wear usually? She wears that big coat with the white collar with the little black dots. You know what that is? It's a lion's mane. That is a lion's mane. Absolutely. One of the rarest on the planet. A white lion's mane. There's only four known in existence. And the royal family owns one of them. Why am I saying this? How valuable is that? Royals were what? They were skins. In our own culture, folks, what's more valuable? A cotton shirt or a leather jacket or a mink coat? Right? It costs money. Take yourself to antiquity. Cotton comes from the ground. God cursed the ground for Adam's sake. But he never cursed the animal kingdom. In antiquity, and think of Cain and Abel bringing a sacrifice. One is accepted and one is rejected. And I've heard people say in the past, Cain brought the worst of the worst. The Bible doesn't say that. That's kind of an interpretation. Could very well be, but it doesn't say that. Could it be that even the best of the best that came from a cursed ground is not enough for God? Where Abel's sacrifice of the best of the best of the animals was accepted by the Lord. David could wear any animal skin he wants. Leopard. Ibac, which is a big antelope in the Middle East, whatever he wants. Instead, catch this. You want to bring the presence of God home with you. He voluntarily takes it off and puts on poor men's clothes. Why? Because, God, you can put crowns on my head. God, you can put skins on my back. But underneath it all, it's still the little shepherd boy all those years ago who loved you who sang to you when nobody, even my family, didn't even want me in the house. You were there for me. And no matter what you pile on me, no much money, riches, victories, I'll always remember underneath all of it, it is still me and it's still you. You want to bring the presence home. Have that kind of relationship with God. Some of you as a little boy or a little girl used to talk to God from your bed at night. You don't do it anymore. You need to let God know that little girl still lives. That little boy still lives. In fact, tonight, maybe when you get home, call him up. I believe God will answer on the first ring. Next verse. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sounds of trumpet. Verse 16. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, ooh, they're getting close. What an ordeal. How sweaty is David? How dusty is David? But yet, if you were to look at David, he would tell you this is the greatest day of his life. It is a dream to bring the ark home. And he's going to see it with his own eyes. And now they're coming into the city, the city of David. All right, here we go. Michal, Saul's daughter. Now, how did he get her? Her father was the first king. Yes. He won. I was going to say as booty, but maybe that's not the proper term. To... 
a boot like a prize. Uh, let me rephrase it. He, uh, she was a reward. Thank you. Thank you. Much better phrasing. Remember how Saul was so desperate for a man to take on Goliath for 40 days and 40 nights getting taunted and no one would bite. Right? And it was, it's ridiculous. Two armies arrayed in the Valley of Elah and the, and the Philistine coming down. Have one man fight for you. If I slay him, you'll be our slaves and blah, blah, blah. It was a ridiculous offer. It's very Greek. Right? That's kind of the Greek Achilles, the warrior, the one-on-one battle, wrestling. Israel's not, that's Western theology or thought. The Israelites weren't going to bite at this. But I, personally, I believe Saul needed a diversion. And he needed one suicide mission guy to go down there and take on this huge individual. All right? And nobody would do it. And if, you know the story. Here comes David. Who was this, you know, who's defying the living God? This piece of trash or rubbish, he calls him, right? And everybody's like, shh, quiet, who are you? And Saul's excited. Does he really think David's going to win this? No, he needs a diversion, right? So you know the story. What happens? He slays Goliath. But before that, Saul kept throwing out little teasers. Hey, if anybody takes on Goliath and, can, and, and win, he's tax-free for the rest of his life. I mean, that'd be pretty good, huh? Get you thinking, oh, hmm. that in writing, hmm. okay, right? Or then whoever does this is part of the royal family. Ooh. And then he threw in, and whoever does this and wins gets my daughter's hand in marriage. Whew. Now you could potentially be an heir. Good deal. When David hears it, he's like, oh, let me add him. All right, you know the story. Saul even says, here, wear my armor. And because it said Saul was super tall and handsome, that's how God knew or uh, told Samuel to look for, right? It didn't fit David. So you know the story. He goes and slays Goliath. He wins all those things. And he wins Michal to be his wife. Now, how many know Michal has seen a king her whole life? Her whole life. She's grown up under a king's roof. She is literally a princess. Right? No calluses on her hands. Right? Maybe a bad hair day at most. So her whole life, she has seen what she thinks is a king and how a king should operate. And she looks out the window and she sees her husband. Look through a window and she sees her husband, King David, leaping and whirling before the Lord. His happiest day on planet Earth, and look what happens. She despised him in her heart. How many know not everybody was excited when you got saved? Huh? Nor should they be. This is kind of a sign, I think, at times. Right? Not everybody wants to give, any God, uh, give God any glory. Right? Not everybody's interested in the presence of God being near them. In fact, it's better if it's not. She has a premonition, right, that, uh, or, or a pre-notion, I should say, of how a king should operate. Do you think she ever saw her daddy leaping and twirling? Do you think she ever saw her daddy take off the royal robes and skins and crown 
and put on a cotton linen shirt. No. You know Saul. He bathed with that crown on. Tried to wash his hair around the crown. (laughs) Slept with it. And she sees him doing this, and she despises her husband in her heart. Next verse. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the middle of the tabernacle that David had built or erected for it. So now that the presence of God is home, look what he does. He offers offerings, burnt and peace offerings before the Lord. First thanks. And when David had finished all the offerings, he then, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Never saw Saul doing this. Next verse. Then, look at this. He distributed amongst the people, amongst the whole multitude of Israel, both women and to men. For some, this has been mentioned. To everyone, they get a loaf of bread. Now, catch this for a second. You've never seen this up to this point. In fact, before this, you saw Eli, who had some wicked sons, that if you were cooking something good in your house, and they went by and, oh, oh, what's that? They had the right to go into your house. And the Lord has need of this. And those condiments, too. People have been taken. Had been taken. It's a new leader. He's distributing. And I like what he's got this planned out. Look, they get a loaf of bread, a little appetizer. They get a piece of meat, a little entree. And they get a cake of raisins, a little dessert. Right? To everybody, men and women. They had to have been stunned. They'd depart everyone back to his own home or to their house. They'd be stunned. What a day. Now, how many know, David, it's, it's been a hard day, but a great day. Tired. <sighs> now it's his turn to go home. Interesting. You want the presence of God to be where you want it to be at times. Take care of others first before yourself. Think of their needs at times. Right? Don't just be a taker in your spiritual walk. Learn how to be really a giver. So now he comes home. Next verse. So David now is going to return home to bless his own household. Oh, but somebody's waiting for him. Hmm. Hmm. Guys, have you ever walked into the house and you knew mama was upset? But for the life of you, you had no idea why? Huh? My wife's funny. Like, if we're in a setting, a church setting, I know she's upset. I'm always recommending, is it something with me? Like, what did I do? What did I say? What did I embarrass her? What and I'll, what's wrong? Nothing. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> I may not know everything, or I may not know what the deal is, but I do know she's not fine, right? <laughs> Things are not fine. David comes home, opens the door, and there she is. Let me tell you about my day. But before he could say anything, the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, interesting, she still holds the title of daughter of Saul, not David's wife. I mean, some people like to hang on to the past more than what's going on in the future. And some people can't even realize what they got in their future is better than what they had in their past. 
So, oh, finally, oh, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of women out there, like a base fellow, that means homeless person, base the lowest. Running around out there like a homeless person. How glor! Oh yeah, you're bringing this glorious box home. How glorious! Yeah, and you're out there dancing with your legs showing. In the Middle East, you, men do not show legs. Remember when Peter is released by the angel in the Book of Acts? What is his first instruction? Gird yourself. What does that mean? Their garments would be all the way to the floor because men's legs were not to be shown. Men's legs were thought to be unseemly. I spent a couple Saturdays ago at the flea market, and I kind of agree with it. But anyway. (laughs) So to move quick, you gird yourself, and you tie up your long garment. That way Peter had to move. You following me? Men's legs weren't shown. This is what she's upset with. Those women saw your legs like a homeless person. How glorious this was. Uncovering yourself. Next verse. So David said to her, number one, it was before the Lord. Catch that one, honey. Oh, who, by the way, Chose me instead of your daddy. And not only him, but all of his house. All of his sons were killed. Right? It was before the Lord who appointed me ruler over the people of the Lord. Over Israel. Therefore, I will play my music before the Lord. Right? I love the Bible. We're in on a husband-wife bickering argument right here. <laughs> Bible shows everything. I love that. Next verse. And, and, I'm not done. Don't walk away from me. And, I will be even more undignified than this. Today I embarrassed you, baby. You haven't seen nothing yet. (laughs) And me doing this embarrassed you? I will be even humble in my own sight. As for those women you're talking about, of whom you spoke about, I don't know if you know this or not, but by them, I am held in honor. They get me. They understand me. Better. That's out of the rooms. Next verse. Almost done. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul. Look what bitterness can do. Made her unfruitful to the day of her death. Saul's lineage completely gone forever. What an interesting scripture. Paul says 
that the message of the cross to one group is absolute foolishness. But to another group, it is the power of life. This is a good example of his scripture, hundreds of years before he wrote it. To David, God's power was coming home. God's presence will be where it belongs. The place I have built for it. A set place. As he is enraptured with joy and exuberance over this detail, another one, under his own roof, his own wife, is looking out a window, and immediately what little love she had for him is gone because he embarrassed her. To her, what David was doing was absolutely foolish. Do you realize at this very moment there are people who think what you're doing at this very moment think it's foolish? That you're a fool. And I've talked to them and I think, what do you mean? Let me get this straight. You go to worship a God you cannot see. Sing songs about a guy that lived 2,000 years ago. Believe these stories, the earth flooded or the sun stood still or a man walked on water. You go share these stories on a Sunday and there's good football games on. You are a fool. And it used to make me upset. It doesn't any longer. I liken it to this. You ever see somebody dancing in a car? Huh? You ever see that? You're at a red light. And the car in front of you, he's just... Hmm? You ever seen that? Guitar solos on the on the on the steering wheel. Yeah? Guy drumming. Once saw an Asian fellow in a very nice car, but I could tell he was listening to something classical because he was like the conductor. He was good. I don't know what he was listening to. And you got to be careful, too. I have people, sometimes they're so into it, they don't realize the lights turn green, right? And they can go, right? So I'm always, and you know, this day and age, you got to be, so you do the little polite, eh, eh. don't do the, don't do the, don't be that guy, eh, you know. So I just did the, and he was so into it. When I did the little, eh, eh, he went, like even, the e eh, eh was... Why do I even bring this up? Because when you're looking at it from your vehicle, it looks foolish dancing in a car. But maybe if you were in the car with them, maybe it was something you really liked. Maybe they got a really good sound system. Maybe if you were in that little environment too and you were able to hear and feel 
what they could hear and feel. Maybe you would be in the passenger seat right next to them, knuckle, what do you call those, with the knuckle, doing all kinds, Gangnam style in the... but you would have to be in it to experience it, right? My point is this. Half the world, more than half the world, thinks we're fools. Let them think that. I'll be a fool for Christ. But they haven't heard what we have heard. They haven't smelled the aroma of God. They haven't smelled victory in their life. They haven't felt the presence of God. They haven't fallen under the presence of God. They don't never felt the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They haven't felt what we have felt. They haven't tasted what we have tasted. And the Bible says taste and see. Like that taste but see. Once you taste the things of God, I don't know about you, I don't want to taste of the world any longer. This is fresher bread. I don't want stale bread. I don't know about you, but when somebody's baking bread, isn't that just the... It's almost intoxicating. This, where's the bakery at? Somebody's baking bread. Oh, my Lord. Right? And when you taste it, it's the best. You don't want to eat stale things any longer. I want to leave you with this. We, we can't hate them. We've got to love them. we just got to know they haven't experienced what you and I have experienced it. If they were to experience it, I believe they would be as crazy singing on a Wednesday night like me and you coming on a Sunday morning. Why? Because I believe it's inherent in every human being on planet Earth. We want a relationship with what? The living and the true God. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? I'm going to ask a simple little prayer tonight, and I'm going to give it back to Pastor Mark. If you're out there, and I know this Wednesday night, so I'm, a, I'm assuming vast majority of you are believers. If you're not, come and see us afterwards. We can certainly change that in a short, quick second. Amen? Sundays are much more evangelistic, but a Wednesday night usually draws the faithful of a church. So with that being said, How many of you out there are close to somebody, but yet, in a way, they're a little bit like Michal? Anybody have any Michals in their life? Does anybody have anybody in their life that you doing this, you carrying a Bible, you quoting a scripture, they roll their eyes, or they have an answer to everything? Is there anybody in here tonight? Anybody work next to somebody like that? And you love the person, but they just don't understand or get it. Amen? If you have that person, put them in your mind right now. Put them in your heart right now. In a way, you might have to become a David. You might have to have a real burden to move the presence of God. You might have to go a little bit over the line when it comes to embarrassment. Like witness? Testify? Ooh, here's a tough one. Invite to church. 
Can I just Facebook him, Pastor Adam? No. (laughs) Really step out and do something crazy foolish, like invite them to church. Do you have that person in your mind? Do you have them in your heart? Let's bow our heads. Father, I believe you sent us to church tonight for a reason, because we need to carry something. And Father, as David had to carry that ark a long way to put it in its place, you've carried us a few places in our lives. And you've brought us to a place that we're at, whether it's temporary or whether it's permanent, Father, whether it's at work, whether it's in a neighborhood, whether it's around a group of people. But I believe you place something in us, Father, to make a difference. May the joy of the Lord be evident in me starting tomorrow. May nobody ever have to wonder if I'm a Christian or not. May it be evident on me. May it be all over me. May it exude from a handshake. May it come through with a hug. May they know it. May, may they call me a fool. I'll smile back a big toothy grin right back at them, Lord. Because I believe you have placed me in their path for a reason. If not us, then who will testify of the goodness of the Lord? to these individuals. Father, tomorrow, starting tomorrow, may I make a difference. It is almost the Christmas season, Father. We are going to be surrounded by family, many of which are unsaved. May this just not be another Christmas of pity pat hugs, a gift or two, a cup of eggnog, and blow out of there. May this be a Christmas different, Father. May they, as they they acknowledge a little baby, May we also talk about a risen Savior to them, Father, to help them. Lord, I believe the presence of God needs to go to our households. May we start with gladness, and may we end with taking care of others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you so much. I had a wonderful time.